Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards, and today we are talking about acceptance, and I'm going to share with you some of my favorite products for managing chronic pain. So, acceptance. How do you feel when you are told to change? And does that feel good? Do you feel that you have some resistance to it? Does that bother you? I'm asking these questions because what is acceptance? So I'm going to explain it to you. Uh, Acceptance. Acceptance is not, when you think about chronic pain acceptance, many people, myself included, get very nervous and antsy about that topic. When I was a patient at Mary and Joy, their chronic pain management program, one of the first things they taught us was about chronic pain acceptance. And I was very resistant to that because I remember saying, what do you mean acceptance? That's not something that I will ever accept. That's not something that I ever want to even consider acceptance. And the way that it was explained to me, and now it makes sense, in the beginning it didn't, was it's not saying I accept that this is what it is and there's no hope for me and I'm done. No, what it simply means is this is what it is. You're going to move forward, figure out how you're going to move forward. And when I thought about it, I says, okay, that I can do. I see, I thought when they mentioned chronic pain acceptance, it meant, Nisi, this is your diagnosis. That's it. And there's no other hope for you. And you must accept that this is how it's going to be the rest of your life. Now, that's something I would never accept. But when they simply said to me and explained to me that it's all about coming in terms with it. You know, this is, you know, you're told what the diagnosis is, but you don't let that hinder you from moving forward. You still move forward. And I hope that makes a difference. And so what I did was when I found out that my diagnosis was fibromyalgia, in the beginning I was very angry, but at the same time I immersed myself in everything that I could learn about fibromyalgia. I did a lot of research. I interviewed people about their journey with fibromyalgia, and I used myself as my own personal guinea pig test subject to learn about, okay, these are some of the products and services that, you know, the, the prescriptions that they will recommend and prescribe. And I use that as my own testing ground to determine what's going to work best for my body. The doctors don't know your body like you know your body. They see so many patients. They have an idea as to how you may respond to certain medications. But everyone's body is different. So they can prescribe one drug for a patient A. And it may work very well for them, but for patient B, it may not. So I use myself as for my own research to figure out, okay, I am going to move forward. 
And since I set my intentions to move forward, then I have to design a toolkit just for me that's going to allow me to do that. And they share something with me. It's called letting go. And I want to share it with you all. To let go doesn't mean to stop caring. It means I can't do it for someone else. To let go is not to cut myself off. It's the realization that I can't control another. To let go is not to enable, but to allow learning from natural consequences. To let go is to admit powerlessness, which means the outcome is not in my hands. To let go is not to care for, but to care about. To let go is not to fix, but to be supportive. To let go is not to judge, but to allow another to be a human being. And to let go is not to be in the middle, arranging all the outcomes, but to allow others to affect their own outcomes. Because this one stood out for me the most, because in the beginning, I felt that I was in the middle trying to arrange all the outcomes. You know, I had all the players, all the specialists, and here I am in the middle arranging all the outcomes, you know, making all the calls. And but I had to learn to allow others to affect their own outcomes. I can only be responsible for myself Uh, to let go is not to be protected. It is to permit another to face reality. To let go is not to deny, but to accept. To let go is not to nag, scold, or argue, but to search out my own shortcomings and to correct them. To let go is not to adjust everything to my desires, but to take each day as it comes and to cherish the moment. Now that's a big one. Because how many of you, that's living with a chronic condition. It doesn't have to be fibromyalgia. It doesn't have to be rheumatoid arthritis. It could be cancer. It could be lupus. It could be sickle cell anemia. I mean, it can be a number of things, including diabetes. I mean, any chronic condition. How many of you found it hard to take each day as it comes? How many of you have found it hard to cherish the moment? It was difficult for me to take each day because I'm a type A personality. So, you know, I was used to pretty much ordering, you know, my steps for the day, having everything in order and, and having high expectations, how things are supposed to, you know, work out. And when it didn't go my way, that was hard. And since that was hard, it was hard to cherish that moment. So remember I said to let go is not to adjust everything to my desires. I had to learn how to go with the flow. If things didn't go my way that particular day, it's okay. I had to learn how to adjust my attitude and move on. To let go is not to criticize and regulate anyone. You see, I will often criticize myself because I didn't understand How did I get here? You know, what could I have done differently? Why me? Um, I couldn't regulate anyone. You know, I couldn't even regulate myself. But, you know, you have to try to become whatever dream you can be. To let go is not to regret the past. 
I regretted the past because I share with you um, so some of you about my story with chronic pain. And I'm going to share a little bit of that again today. But uh, to let go is to grow and live for the future. And to let go is to fear less and to love more. So I share this with you about letting go because when you have a chronic condition, sometimes you have to let go of preconceived ideas that you have regarding your expectations for yourself, the direction of your life, and, you know, the demands that you place upon yourself. You have to let them go. So, for example... I've worked all my life. I've been working since I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And I'm used to working, you know, being out there, being active. And when this diagnosis hit me, it limited me a little bit where there were certain things. I wouldn't say that I couldn't do them anymore. I would say that I couldn't do them at the level that I once used to be able to do. And I had to learn how to level that down and to do things in such a way that it would not overexert me where I would get very tired. Many of you may have heard the term manage your energy envelope. So with your energy envelope, just imagine that there are three zones. You got the the red zone and you got the blue zone and you have the yellow zone. So the red zone represents where you're just overdoing it, overdoing it, overdoing it, and you're not taking a break. You're not watching your energy level. And so you crash. You crash and burn. You're no good for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, maybe even for several more months because now you've tired yourself out so much and exacerbated your symptoms to the point that now you're having a really bad flare. So when you get into that yellow zone, that's a sign that, okay, caution, you know, watch what you're doing, take some breaks, get some rest. And when you get into the blue zone, you're doing good. You're pacing yourself appropriately. You're taking the appropriate amount of breaks. When you feel yourself getting tired and fatigued, you stop and you rest. And that's what the energy envelope is. It's all about managing your energy levels. And it's very important for people with a chronic health condition because when we overtax ourselves and we get stressed out, that stress, we all know that stress, there's good stress and bad stress. But when the stress gets to be really bad for us, that's when we stop taking care of ourselves. That's when we're moving at a warp speed. We're not slowing down. It affects our central nervous system. And research has shown that when you're under so much stress, your immune system becomes weakened and you can't fight off certain illness and diseases like you normally would. If you was not overly stressed, that's why it's important to manage that energy envelope so that you can remain your best self so that you can remain, you know, more in control of how your body reacts to certain stimuli. So, you know, the holidays will soon be upon us 
This is October, and I can't believe, can you, that uh, I believe next week we'll be halfway through the month. And this is going to cause some anxiety for some people, you know, because when the holiday comes, what do we want to do? It's all this hustle and bustle of, you know, getting our home right, all the, the decorations, planning the gatherings, getting together with family or friends, this Thanksgiving, the shopping, and then before you know it, whether you celebrate Christmas or whatever your holiday, you know, day may be, whatever, uh, whether it's Hanukkah, whatever it may be, still just um, getting together with everyone. For people with a chronic condition, that can be overwhelming, which is why you need to learn how to pace yourself because pacing is the key to managing your stress level. And that was very difficult for me because, I mean, just the thought of having to slow down is, you know, what? when I think about it now, it's not so much about trying to slow myself down as much as it was. I was, you know, on this pattern where, you know, you get up every day, you get ready for work. I worked long hours and that's what I did every single day. I, I never stopped to make time for myself. And what I needed, it was you go to work, you come home from work, you're cooking, washing, cooking, cleaning, and it the day resets itself and you go on and on and on. And if someone would have asked me, what did I do for fun? I probably would have just stared at them and wonder, what are they talking about? Because when you get caught up in that mode where you're just working intensely and you're working more than eight hours a day. It can be 12 hours a day. It could be 13 hours a day. Sooner or later, you know, you're going to burn yourself out. But before you get to that point, you never stop and take the time for you. You don't stop to check in with your body to see what it needs from you. So we're getting ready to go to a brief break. But when you come back, I'm going to share with you my own personal journey. This is your host, Nisi Edwards, and you're listening to The Pain-Free Zone. Welcome back to The Pain-Free Zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back. This is Nisi Edwards host of the pain-free zone and we've been talking about chronic pain acceptance and what that means so we're not going to trans um we're going to move into me sharing with you about my transformation my metamorphosis change can be hard as i mentioned earlier we tend to be comfortable with the known and sometimes very uncomfortable with the unknown and sometimes we tend to resist change even if it is for the better. But guess what? You know, everything changes. You know, it's constant. And you have to go with the flow. And sometimes that can be difficult. So my metamorphosis from, you know, living and dealing with debilitating chronic pain into where I am today didn't happen overnight. In fact, I'm going to be honest and very transparent. It took about three years. And what that was like was I was diagnosed with chronic pain, fibromyalgia specifically, in June of 2014. 
So that was three years ago. But prior to June of 2014, I had been dealing with chronic pain for about two to three years prior to that. So the two to three years prior and then the three years where I'm at today, that's six years. And it took very long to get diagnosed. I estimate that I've probably seen about nine different primary care physicians and roughly about six to seven different rheumatologists. And you may be wondering why, why so many? Well, because sometimes it takes that long to find the right doctor for you. Sometimes it takes that length of time to find the right team for you. So what was going on with me was I was working a full-time job, was working in the pharmaceutical industry, and I was working very, very long hours. I was also bullied for two and a half years while I worked. Um, I managed a call center. And um, if you've ever worked in a call center or know someone who has worked in a call center, you have an idea what that's like, that it can be stressful. Well, add on top of that, bullying. So the bullying went on for two and a half years. And I blame myself for a little bit of it because when I started this job, I knew from day one it wasn't the right job for me. Have you ever had that moment where you said to yourself, you start a new job or you start a new project and you're like, you know what? Ooh, ooh, I think I made a mistake. Um, I think this is not for me. And the reason why I said that is because the very first day on this job, one of the other um, colleagues said to me, welcome aboard. Glad that you're here. Just want to tell you something. Uh, Don't come in trying to make any changes. Don't rock the boat the way things are. This is the way we want them to be. And as long as you do that, life will be good for you. And, you know, sometimes you may want to chuckle things off and, I just looked at her and um, I had known her from working with her on another job, but I didn't know her like that. When we had worked together years past, um, we never really had much contact with one another. This time we did. We were colleagues. We were on the same level. And um, wow, this place, it was toxic. That's the best way to describe it. There were times where I would go to work, and this went on for a period, like I said, of two and a half years. I felt that in, best way to explain it is, I had a lot of people who were working against me. So this is what what would be the typical day. You go to work, and um, you have your own staff that you're managing. For me, it was about 11 people, 11 to 12, and each one of the other uh, supervisors had about 11 to 12 people. But collectively, we were each responsible for not just our own direct staff, but collectively all of the staff for our department. So you're talking about about 60 people. And um, in addition to that, they would hold meetings, separate meetings. So, you know, I'm new kid on the block here. I'm working hard to get up to speed. And uh, I used to wonder sometimes why it was I never seemed to be in the know as to what was going on on this job. And that is because we would have a meeting and we were told and we would discuss the direction that things were going to go. 
And then unbeknownst to me at the time, they will be having other meetings behind my back where they will come together with a totally different game plan. And so if you can picture this, you have a meeting with your colleagues, you're discussing tactics, you know, what direction the business is going to be moving, you feel and you think everybody's on board with that direction. And that's what you know, and that's the direction you're moving forward in. And then behind your back, you have the same group of people who are blindsiding you, undermining you, where they put together other tactics to their advantage. And you're the odd man or odd woman out. So at this point, it makes you look as if you don't know anything. You don't know what's going on. You can't stay on target and you can't stay on target because you were not given those guidelines. They changed the rules at their whim. Uh, some of them wouldn't show up for work, but they would cover for one another. Sometimes they would make up stats just to make themselves look good. Our senior manager, he just was going along with it. Uh, he was living in a, a different state, I believe Indianapolis, and he was commuting from Indianapolis to Illinois. And he had done this for a few years. His family, in fact, was back in Indianapolis, but he worked in Illinois. And so if you think about it, his family was perhaps maybe three hours away from where the office was located, and he would travel home every Friday. And once I started figuring out what was going on and I would talk to him about it, he really didn't want to deal with it. And this progressed. The bullying got worse. And that's when I noticed that I started getting, you know, these constant headaches um, that just wouldn't go away. I started having sleep issues. And when you have sleep issues, you're not your best. You're not the most refreshed in the morning because, you know, you didn't sleep, right? And then I start having this chronic pain. And um, I started working more increased longer hours because I wanted to make certain that I was getting my work done. I really felt that I was jumping through hoops. Um, it, it seemed like once I figured out what was going on and I thought things were calming down, here they would come with something else. And I never felt stable in that position. In fact, I remember having a conversation with um, some friends and family members stating, you know, I think I made a mistake. This is not what I signed up for. This is not where I want to work because this workforce is very, very, very toxic. And when I say toxic, uh, I, I mean just the environment, the the bullying, just being toxic, people not getting along, verbal fighting. You see, that's not how I work. I'm a very calm person, very professional caring and giving, and to have to go to work every day where you feel like you're just being attacked uh, mentally, spiritually, it just drains you. It just it just takes a hold on you. And so I said to these family members and friends, you know, I made a mistake. Um, I'm just going to find another job and I'm going to move on. And they said, you know, you shouldn't do that. You're making way, way, way more money. And with Based upon the salary that you're earning, you should just write it out, write it out. And I wouldn't quit. And then they said, you know, if you quit, you're going to be viewed as a failure where you're just, you know, you've given up. Well, I don't consider myself a failure. I never have. 
But at the same time, I <laughs> said to myself, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to deal with this. And I did it as long as I could until one day I came to work. I started having really bad chest pains and didn't know what was wrong with me. I thought maybe it's my blood pressure and um, paramedics was called and I was taken to the hospital, to the emergency room. They checked me out. They said, okay, it's stress. You need to monitor your stress. And uh, I was off work for a few days. Um, my husband and I, after that, about six months later, had went to Hawaii on vacation. Things were lovely, no stress, no pain. I come back to work, and first day back to work, I never forget it, my senior manager called me in the office to tell me that I was behind in my work. And I says, how can I be behind in my work? I was current with everything before I went on vacation. This is my first day back, so how can I be behind? He says, you're simply behind because you wasn't here to do the work while you was on vacation. And I says, but we're all entitled to a vacation, and we're supposed to have a, a buddy backup system. So you're supposed to have a buddy so that each person, when you go on vacation, you know, that means if your staff's time card needs to be approved, you know, just all their general things, there should be someone at the management staff who can pitch in and get it done. Um, they approve the time cards, everything else they basically didn't do. So he says, you're behind in your work. Your buddy system didn't work for you. No one helped you out while you were gone. You're behind. You're expected to get current, and you need to be current by the end of the week. And that was a lot of stress because I knew what that entailed. I knew the amount of work. So basically he was expecting me to get a week, no, not a week, a month's worth of work done in about four days. That meant working longer hours from not only nine in the morning to 7 p.m. to 7 p.m. at night. I would work sometimes up until 1 a.m. in the morning and even on the weekends. So here I am buckling down trying to get the work done. And then the chest pain start all over again, and it got worse. And um, I said to myself, I'm just going to walk over to occupational health here and see what they say. Maybe it's my blood pressure again. And one of my colleagues, who was nice, she she wasn't on my team, but she's someone that I consider a friend, someone that if I, you know, needed someone just to talk to about some things, I knew that I can depend upon um, this person. She was not part of the team that was bullying me at all, but she knew what was going on, and she was equally uh, bothered by it too. And um, she says, well, I don't want you walking over there. I'm going to drive you over. So she drove me over, and while I was waiting um, to see the nurse and to be examined, unbeknownst to me, they had already called paramedics. They told me that they thought that I was having a massive heart attack. So here I go back to the same hospital again, the emergency room. And they pull my medical records. And this time, you know, it was a very, very kind doctor there who really cared for me. And this time they didn't just send me home. They admitted me. And uh, he talked to me. And when they admitted me and they got me stabilized, he actually came up to the room, um, you know, the private room in which I was in. And he shared with me, he says, you know, I've seen a lot of people from where you work. And he says, I can tell you right now, I know the history of the company that you work for. I know that is a very toxic working environment, very hostile over there. And a lot of the employees have been coming here to the emergency room for stress.
But he says, your stress is so high that we cannot let you go home. You've got to calm down. And he says, next time you're not going to be so lucky. And I says, what do you mean next time? He says, you made it this time. Next time you may not be so lucky. And he says, what you now need to do is when we discharge you, you need to take time off from work and figure out where you're going to go from there. But he mentioned, I advise you not to return to that job because next time you're not going to make it. Next time this will kill you. That really got my attention. Um, I still felt even more stress because now I'm angry because remember I said I knew from day one the job probably wasn't for me, but I stayed on because I have family and friends telling me you're making way too much money to stop working this job and to take something else and to ride it out. It's going to get better. You know what? I was very angry. I was very angry with myself because I should have just been listening to myself and not focused on the amount of money that I was making. But that's neither here nor there. But um, that is what happened. And um, going on medical leave, uh, FMLA, oh, my goodness, that's a challenge. Because for any of you that's listening to this show If you've been working in corporate America and and you've had to go on FMLA, medical leave, I'm I'm sure you know what that's like. Some of you may have had good experiences, some of you not so good. My experience was not so good. Here I am working for, uh, like I said, this particular company, and I go on medical leave, and so the doctor has to complete the paperwork, right? And at this time, the physician that I had been seeing probably for about six to seven years He now gets an attitude when I come to him to tell him that I went to the emergency room and that they told me that I needed time off work. And here are the paperwork that he needs to complete. And he was none too happy because he said he didn't have time. He had too many other patients. And he says, there's nothing wrong with you. And he says, for all I know, it could be fibromyalgia. And I was like, fibro what? He says, fibromyalgia. And I says, well, what is that? He says, it don't matter. It's no big deal. There's nothing wrong with you. And that's literally verbatim what he said to me. And um, at that point, I said, you know what? I, I can't uh, see him any longer. I'm going to have to find me another doctor. I need a physician that's going to be on Team Nisi, a physician that cares about me as a patient, my needs, and that's willing to provide the medical care and treatment that I need. And everyone, um, I don't care who you are, you deserve proper medical care and treatment. It, it shouldn't be based upon one's ethnicity. It shouldn't be based upon the color of one's skin. It shouldn't even be based upon whether you're male or a female or transgender or, or whatever it is, gay or lesbian, whatever it is. None of that should matter. Only thing that should matter is, You need help, and if they're a doctor, that's the oath that they took to do no harm. And I felt that at this point, this particular doctor was doing me a lot of harm by just dismissing me. And um, I got a second opinion, went to another doctor, and on my second visit, uh, that's when he said to me, you know, did anyone ever tell you what your diagnosis was? And I says, no, I wish I knew, and that's when I found out it was fibromyalgia. And as I mentioned, I had a lot of anger because, you know, prior to this diagnosis in 2014, I had been having 
chronic pain I mentioned three to four years prior. I had even had major surgery, a, a total hysterectomy, and, and even after that, I even had more pain, and that doctor tells me, hey, we fixed you. Uh, I don't know why you're still having pain. And, you know, so when you experience disparity in healthcare where you cannot get the care you need, that leads to depression. That creates anger and frustration. Um, I had health care insurance. In fact, very, very good health care insurance. But, you know, in spite of that, it didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. These health care providers just didn't care. And some of you may be saying, well, maybe they did. No, they didn't care because if you really care about and you enjoy being a doctor and you love what you do and you're in this business to provide assistance to patients, that's what you do. That is your job. And if you cannot help that patient, then you send them on to someone who can. You make a referral. You don't do them any harm, you know, like they try to do to me. You don't harm a patient and by, you know, refusing to provide the medical care and treatment that they need. You don't harm a patient by totally dismissing their feelings and their symptoms. You don't, you know, hurt a patient simply because you are having a bad day. And if you as a physician are having a bad day, we all have bad days, but for your job, it's totally different. You work in the medical field. You know that with certain conditions and diseases, you can't just dismiss patients. Patient care, it has to be patient-centric. You have to care about the patient. It should be that you're working on a team together and you're on their team. You're on that team to give them the proper medical care and treatment and you should have a vested interest in your patient because I would think that the goal should be, you know, I want to see my patient healed. I want to see my patient feeling better. I want to see my patient in less pain, whatever it may be. But that's just how I feel about that situation. So I mentioned to you that I went on FMLA leave, and I had to fight to get that approved with my employer. And um, I saw a rheumatologist, had to see several rheumatologists. This particular rheumatologist didn't believe in fibromyalgia, only rheumatoid arthritis. And since I was dealing with that also, she treated me for it. And my employer, I had to fight with them every month to justify being off work. Now, imagine this, that, okay, you Already were working for this company where you were bullied for two and a half years. You work in long hours. You're stressed out. Now you can't work. You're in all this pain. Don't know what the heck is going on with you. And you need to be off work. And now they are fighting you, stating you don't need to be off work. This went on month after month after month. They wouldn't accept anything from my primary care doctor's only from the specialist. Then here I am having to fight with the specialist to complete the paperwork. And I found uh, another rheumatologist who would complete the paperwork basically right there while I was in the office. And then she would fax it into them. But then the company would play another game. They would claim that they didn't receive the paperwork. So when you work in corporate America for many large corporations, when you go on FMLA leave, they have what they refer to as absent management companies. So the role of these absent management companies 
what they're doing is they're overseeing your care and approving your time off from work. Your employer contracts with them. That's the service that they provide. And when they are reviewing your claim, it's not necessary medical doctors that are looking at it. It may not even be a nurse. It could just be a claim examiner. They're looking at your paperwork and trying to justify to see if you deserve to be off. Now, I'm not knocking claim examiners because I used to be one. But at the same time, when I'm really sick and my doctor has already certified that I need to be off work, I'm sorry, but I don't need a claim examiner telling me that I don't need to be off work. I know how much pain I'm in. My doctor sees me weekly. So why would you try to hurt the patient more by stating, oh, they should be able to work when that is not the case? But see, these are the games that they play. And this went on for six months. So now at six months, you run out of short-term disability. And now you get into long-term disability. And if you thought getting the short-term disability approved, you ain't seen nothing yet because when it gets to long-term disability, then the stakes are even higher. And again, month after month after month, it was the same thing. They did not want to approve my benefits. There were some months that they didn't want to pay me. And I remember one holiday specifically, it happened for Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. They didn't pay me. And, um, I reached out to them and um, after a lengthy discussion and I asserted my rights and I let them know that I was going to take legal action, that all of a sudden my benefits get turned back on. But see, these are the games some of them play. Now, there are some really good absent management companies out there, I'm sure, somewhere. I just don't know of any that may not operate like this, but the ones that I have experience with, that is indeed how they operate. And the goal is to get you so worked up and so angry that, what? guess what, you quit and you leave. Because then when you quit and you leave, you don't have access to those benefits. And I refuse to do that because at this point, I was angry. I was angry because, number one, I knew it wasn't a good fit for me, but I stuck it out, worked very hard every day to do the best job I possibly could do, cared about my staff, took pride in my work, and showed up and was ready to get the job done. So I felt that, okay, you don't bully me for two and a half years. I'll be darned if now all of a sudden I'm just going to quit and just walk away and you're not going to be held accountable because I didn't get, I didn't do this to myself. Yes, I took the job. I did do that. But at the same time, I didn't bully myself. I didn't mistreat myself. They did this. And this was the perfect storm that led to my diagnosis. So I'm sharing this with you so you can see my metamorphosis into where I'm at today. So where I'm at today is I'm no longer working with that company. Um, I was off work for three years in January of this year. Uh, I did return to work with a totally new company and the job was going well. New staff absolutely loved. My staff was treated very, very good. Um, but here I am working long hours again. And remember when I said earlier about managing your energy envelope? Well, um, I didn't do as good of a job as I should, and I knew better. And what happened was working, I had a couple of days where I worked 15-hour days, and then I developed vertigo. And then when I developed vertigo, 
because um, the job was such a distance away from my home, and I had to take the, the highway to get there. The doctor took me off work again because then I developed um, painful flares again, which um, I'm doing better now. But that's why I'm telling you all about managing your energy envelope because when you don't manage your energy envelope and you overdo it, you pay the price for that. So learn from me. <laughs> Let me be your uh, example where you will learn from um, my experiences. Well, we're getting ready to take um, a short break, and uh, we'll be right back. This is Nisi Edwards, and this is the Pain-Free Zone. Now, let's get back to the Pain-Free Zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back. This is Nisi Edwards, the Pain-Free Zone, and we've been talking about uh, the first half of the hour about uh, my metaphor, my metamorphosis with um, chronic pain, how I got there, and where I'm at today. So I share with you all about my journey, my experience in corporate America, and the perfect storm that led to me being diagnosed with uh, chronic pain syndrome. And um, what I also want to share with you is, you know, there is power in pain. Pain will lead you to your purpose. And I remember when I first thought about their power and pain, um, it clicked for me. Because when I was diagnosed three years ago with fibromyalgia, I didn't have much of a support system. In fact, I didn't really know anyone um, that had this but one person, a friend. She didn't know much about it, so she couldn't help me. She was still working uh, at the same company where I used to work, just different department, but she was struggling herself. Uh, the doctors couldn't help me because they didn't know much ab about this. Um, and so what I did was um, I started my own talk show, Fibromyalgia Talks, that airs on the cable access station uh, in Vernon Hills, Illinois. And, and then after that, um, I started the not-for-profit Fibro Patient Education and Support Community Organization. I started that, and I know that that was divine inspiration because I, you know, I'm a woman of faith, and I remember one day I prayed to God so much about what was happening to me. How did I get here? Can you please deliver me? I mean, this one day I was just having a really, really bad pity party. Um, so much pain, so much emotional angst. And um, it seemed that God was silent. And one day, um, you know, I woke up and um, I realized that I wasn't focused on what had happened to me as much as I used to. I mean, before I was so angry that even if I had to drive by where I used to work, I would have panic attacks because I would think about it and have a flashback into how badly I was treated in the bullying. And uh, this one particular day, I heard God speak to me, me clearly to tell me what others meant for bad, he meant for good. And uh, I knew then that, you know, that this situation was far bigger than me. And God, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a woman of faith. He gave me clear guidelines as to what he wanted me to do and how to move forward. And we started the not-for-profit. We're, we're 501c3. And um, this is my ministry. This is my mission. This is my purpose to give 
people with chronic pain hope and to let you know that life is not over for you. You're just now getting started. Um, the challenge for you, depending upon where you're at with your illness, is putting together a pain toolkit for yourself that's going to help you manage your pain. Uh, I also want to share with you a personal bill of rights that is going to help you uh, as you navigate this. So with the personal bill of rights, number one, you have the right to ask for what you want. You have the right to say no to requests or demands you can't meet. You have the right to express all of your feelings, whether they're positive or negative. You have the right to change your mind. You have the right to make mistakes and not have to be perfect. Remember that, underscore perfect. You have the right to follow your own values and standards. You have the right to say no to anything when you feel you are not ready, especially if it's unsafe or it violates your values. You have the right to determine your own priorities. You have the right not to be responsible for others' behaviors, actions, feelings, or problems. You have the right to expect honesty from others. You have the right to be angry at someone you love. You have the right to be uniquely yourself. That's important. Don't try to compare yourself to any other patient that has chronic pain. If it seems like they're doing better than you, that's okay. Don't give up. Just be you. Only worry about you. You have the right to feel scared and say, I'm afraid. You have the right to say, I don't know. You have the right not to give excuses or reasons for your behavior. And you have the right to make decisions based upon your feelings. You have the right to your own needs for personal space and time. You have to have those boundaries. You have the right to be playful and frivolous. You have the right to be healthier than, you know, than those are around you. You have the right to be in a non-abusive environment. I have met so many women with chronic pain who are in a very abusive environment, which is not conducive to healing. That's not going to help them heal because they're living in so much fear. You have the right to make friends and be comfortable around people. You have the right to change and grow. You have the right to have your needs and wants respected by others. You have the right to be treated with dignity and respect. Remember when I mentioned about the doctors? That's my right. That's part of my personal bill of rights. I have the right to be treated with dignity and respect. And if you're treating with someone, a physician or whomever it may be, a healthcare provider, you have the right to be treated again with dignity and respect. And if you're not receiving that, speak up for yourself, advocate for yourself or move and find someone else. And you have the right to be happy. So these personal bill of rights for people with chronic pain is very important because you need to know that just because you have a chronic condition, you didn't give up your rights at all. So moving into our last segment, I want to share with you um, some products uh, that I use that have worked well for me tremendously. So there's this one product that's called My Pain Away. It's fibrocreme, and it's pain. It's associated with fibromyalgia and neuropathy, but... Um, this particular product is actually formulated in, uh, by Topical Biomedics. They're in Rhinebeck, New York, on the East Coast. This is a product uh, personally that I have used myself now for about three years, and uh, it does work. You know, you can put it 
If you're diabetic, and I'm also type 2 diabetic, you can put it on your feet, you can put it on your back, your neck, and your shoulders. And the reason why I really like this product is because it's stainless and it doesn't have a smell. Um, I don't like these pain creams where you smell all this menthol. Uh, I, I can't stand that because when you have um, chronic pain syndrome, sometimes you're, you can become very sensitive to chemicals and scents. And so this product works well for me. And then there's another one that I want to tell you all about today. Uh, it's one I recently purchased. It's frankincense and mirror. Uh, it's called frankincense and mirror neuropathy homeopathic rubbing oil. And um, it's formulated to deliver temporary and topical relief for neuropathy. Now, it has uh, homeopathic ingredients in it. It's in a base of sunflower oil and 10 essential oils. Why I like this is because I'm, I'm type 2 diabetic and I have um, a lot of foot pain. And I rub that on there and it helps with the foot pain. It, it helps a great deal. And the third product that I want to mention to you all is uh, Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S. Uh, my podiatrist um, told me, you know, two weeks ago that uh, I needed to get new tennis shoes. I love to walk because my feet, I have plantar fasciitis. My feet burn really, really bad. You ever had that sensation where it just feels like your feet are on fire and it just hurts so badly? Well, I bought these tennis shoes with Brooks, and I have the Brooks Ghost shoe, G-H-O-S-T. Um, my podiatrist recommended the, the Brooks Ghost or the Glycine. So the Glycine is when you just want more support in the heel, and the, the Ghost shoe is when you want all-over support. I absolutely love these shoes. I mean, uh, I did some local travel and um, was able to keep up and get to where I was going, and my feet, it hardly ever hurts. Now, these tennis shoes are a little bit costly, about 100 I think, and 20-something dollars, but they're very much worth it. So these are products um, that I just want to share with you. If you um, have any of the conditions that I've listed or named, and I just want to tell you a disclaimer, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse. I am a health advocate, well as a life coach, and uh I'm sharing only with you products and services that have worked for me. And, you know, before trying anything that I may have recommended, I highly, you know, recommend that you consult with your own personal physician to determine, you know, if this is something that will benefit you. And uh, for those of you that's listening to the Pain-Free Zone, we're going to be giving away two personal Pain-Free Zone toolkits. Each one is worth um, $75 in value. And what I would like you to do to be entered into the drawing is send me an email to healthactivist, H-E-A-L-T-H-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-T at gmail.com. Put in there your name that you listen to me on the pain-free zone. Um, and uh, we will put your name and a drawing and I uh, would love for you to win one of these prize packs. Where we're getting now until the end of our show. And uh, I just want to thank you for listening to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. Have a good day.
Thank you.